Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show, pre-recorded from Ben's house, quarantine special for Thursday, March 19th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Let's go. Yes, we're working from home. Ben's home. And if you are listening for the first time since we've done this, that noise you hear every so often is the brown line. That's correct. All right. (laughs) Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. But, dude... You're doing a hell of a job right now. Today, the governor is at the Thompson Center uh, for his daily briefing on COVID-19. Yes, he loves the Thompson Center. Pritzker traveled to southern Illinois for the first time in the height of the coronavirus response uh, Wednesday with his public health director and his emergency manager. Uh, management agency director. He went down to the 618, Ben. Um, yeah. Met with health and county officials Wednesday morning. He was in Belleville, Illinois, where my mother works. Is that right? Yeah, producer Vicky. All right, producer Vicky. Shout out to Vicky. <laughs> so yeah, she was in uh, Belleville there, and then producer uh, Vicky. She produced our producer. <laughs> oh my, producer jokes. Uh, he then went to Carbondale, where they toured a state COVID nineteen processing lab on the campus of Southern Illinois University Carbondale. Afterward, they held their daily press briefing in the Jackson County Courthouse. The following comes from the Southern Illinoisan. The governor continued to implore people to heed the recommendations of health officials to stay home as much as possible, wash their hands frequently, and practice social distancing if they must go out. The governor said that he sympathizes with workers laid off in response to the decision he announced on Sunday to close all bars and restaurants to in-house dining, allowing them to remain open only for carryout, drive-through, and delivery. Pritzker said his administration has taken steps to shorten the time that it takes for people to receive their unemployment insurance benefits once they complete their required paperwork. Pritzker also said that in a personal call this week with U.S. House Speaker Ben's favorite, Nancy Pelosi, 
Pelosi. Ben, has she wrote back to you in any of your love letters? No, she hasn't sent me the autographed picture I've been requesting. One of these days. One of these days, Ben. He spoke with Nancy Pelosi and requested that the massive stimulus package under consideration in Congress include substantial money for unemployment aid to the states. This would allow Illinois to further expand benefits to those without work. Here's a quote from Pritzker. Pritzker said, quote, the dollars that will go to the American public should go to the people who were being laid off and not to people who continue to have a job. Pritzker also said that he's in talks with sheriffs around the state to encourage them to hold off on carrying out any eviction orders at this time, though Pritzker did not directly say whether he's considering a temporary statewide eviction of foreclosure ban as some other cities and states have done, including Kentucky and New York. Also on Wednesday, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development uh, announced that it has placed a 60-day moratorium on foreclosures and evictions for single-family homeowners with FHA-insured mortgages. A senior HUD official told the Southern Illinoisan on Tuesday that HUD is also communicating with public housing authorities and the private owners and managers of HUD-funded housing for low-income people to prevent the displacement of families through eviction at this time. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, it's compassion in time of need. Uh, so it's always good to see that that's happening even on the a part of Republicans. I w w would hope that they would have more compassion for people who are time of need uh, is when generally everybody's doing more or less okay. Uh, that's my attitude toward Republicans and Democrats alike who have such a hostility to programs of compassion. But Dee, let me ask you a question. Let's reverse the question. So here we have Pritzker going downstate. You are our downstate expert. Yes, I am. You're Mr. Alton, Illinois. Mm -hmm. You have your hand on the pulse of people. By the way, my Mountain Dew is in the refrigerator. <laughs> Don't touch it. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was going to drink some after the no, show. No, sir. Uh, there goes the train. All right. Good to see the train's working. So does it work? Isn't there, aren't you the one who always tell me there's just a general hostility to Democrats and Pritzker by downstaters? They just don't like the guy. Oh, here comes Taxzilla. I mean, it's Taxzilla. So, you know, yeah, is that he's Taxzilla. But when Donnie Trump is just, you know, giving out the, oh, well, Ben, we need that. Right? Isn't that interesting? But so Pritzker is making these overtures to downstate voters. He's going downstate. He's leaving Chicago every now and then. Is it working? Do you think that uh, your fellow Altonians are warming up to Pritzker, or do you think they're going to still call him Taxzilla? Well, I think slowly but surely they're kind of realizing how uh, serious this is getting, you know what I mean? At first, like, oh, good Lord, Taxzilla, close this down. <laughs> but I think they're kind of, you know, like, going, okay, maybe this is, uh, you know, maybe this is a little more serious. So they're going to be a little less hostile to J.B. Pritzker? At the moment. At, at the, the moment. moment. Well, it's just so funny because uh, it, it doesn't seem as though – like the red part of the country is playing along with the we all got to get together part of the thing. You know what I'm saying, D? I'm just, just my observation based on what you tell me about your friends, uh, your Facebook friends from downstate. All right, on to our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Yes, that's billion with a B. Mayor Lightfoot, uh, no public <laughs> events listed for Mayor Lightfoot, but that does not mean she's just slouching around at home like the rest of us. Mayor Lori Lightfoot today has ordered all Chicagoans with confirmed cases 
or uh, coronavirus or who are exhibiting symptoms of the disease to stay home to prevent community spread of the pandemic. The mayor took the unprecedented step by signing a public health order stating that those with confirmed cases or symptoms, quote, may not leave their homes, go to work or meet in groups. The only exception to the stay at home order is to seek, quote, essential services, including necessary clinical care or evaluation and life-sustaining needs that include obtaining food and medicine. Violators will be slapped with citations and fines by Chicago police and the Department of Public Health. Here's the quote from Lightfoot, quote, During this unprecedented crisis, we must move quickly and in the best interest of the public. Restricting the movements of those who have COVID-19 or who are symptomatic is the best way to prevent the virus from spreading further. She will also be giving a public address at 5 p.m. today on exactly what the hell else we're going to (laughs) do moving forward. Hey, if anyone listening has some downtime, you should check it out. That was a quarantine joke because, of course, we all have downtime. We're bored to death here, Ben. You know, I'm listening to what you uh, you just said about what Lori. They're going to slap fines on people. So if you if you're displaying symptoms and they catch you walking outside, they're going to give you a ticket. Is that? Is that I'm like, what cop in the world is? Oh, this guy's sneezing. Yeah. Hold on, move over. All my people who smoke reefer outside, beware. I, that cough may get uh, you know. I uh, we're going to be PC uh, Peter Cunningham and I were talking about this earlier today. We're going to talk about this more about. Uh, you know, so the challenges of policing uh, in this day and age in the city with with uh, the, the the virus outbreak. But I just that just doesn't make sense. Like, how is a cop going to know if somebody is walking down the street, you know, is displaying symptoms of if you're sneezing? Is that it? If you're if you blow your nose, I right, pull over hands against the wall. We got a sneezer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I get the idea that, you know, they want to be vigilant. Uh, I saw also, by the way, and uh, going the opposite direction, they're not going to be ticketing people for a while. Did you see that, D? It was in the paper. Not going to be ticketing. Oh, now here I am locked in my house. Boy, I could have used that about a week ago at the Sun-Times. or just parked in the middle of a non-parking zone. But anyway, I, I uh, listen, I appreciate the, the idea that uh, we should be vigilant and on top of things. But some of these, these orders just don't make sense. The Ben Jarofsky Show. Miles Conflassen with us on the phone. Uh, welcome to the new age of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Miles. Thank you. Very glad to be here virtually. Yeah, we're here virtually. In the old days, Miles, of course, would be in the studio with us, but uh, we're all under lockdown. We're all doing our thing, trying to stay uh, safe uh, and secure in the age of the coronavirus. And uh, so, anyway, it's good to talk to Miles, Miles Conflassen uh, from In These Times, a big Bernie supporter. Uh, so, well, I guess we should start with Tuesday's primary here in the state of Illinois. Uh, Bernie did not succeed, to put it mildly. Miles, I've been dealing with it in my own way. Uh, I'm kind of going through the, the grieving process. I was for Bernie. Everybody knows I don't try to hide it. Uh, I appreciate very much that Bernie was pushing the Democratic Party to the left. Uh, we, I know you and I will be talking about this. Just the utter irony of watching the Republicans falling in line to adopt socialistic programs uh, in this time of crisis, in this time of need, programs that are straight out of the Bernie Sanders playbook. Uh, at the same time, the Democratic Party was saying, Bernie's too left, Bernie's too left. Yeah. Uh, it's a little hard for me to stomach on one level. On the other level, I'm, I appreciate the fact that we have to do something uh, because of the crisis. But uh, yeah, your just general thoughts on what went down on Tuesday. Well, first of all, I do think that this was um, 
a real travesty the fact that these elections were allowed to to go on here. I mean, it's uh, you know kind of incomprehensible that at the same time the CDC then was warning against any gatherings of ten or more that um, the, the Illinois Board of Elections, you know, the, the governor's office, all eventually went forward with this. Whereas we saw in Ohio, they delayed it. So it's not as if you know. Uh, uh, postponement or expanding mail-in ballots would have, um, you know, been a, unthinkable because other states have done it. And you see, if you're looking forward, you know, Kentucky, Louisiana, other states have, have planned to do that as well. Um, I say that strictly, you know, somebody concerned about public health and safety and, uh, you know, our right to have this franchise to vote. I mean, when you're telling people to go to a polling location that could compromise not just their health and safety, but that of, you know, the entire city, essentially. Um, and now days later, you saw this uh, order we have from Mayor Lightfoot around, you know, anybody that's exhibiting any symptoms um, is going to be, uh, you know, held at home. Of course, anybody who has contracted the virus. And I mean, I got to say, I think we're on the road towards the uh, shelter in place order. I think that's probably coming very soon for the city. Um, it's already been taken up in um, other places like Oak Park. So I think that's coming down the road. So to think that within, you know, the same week that we held an election, that then we'd be doing a shelter in place order, it just doesn't compute for me. And so that, that's my, you know, uh, first take on it. Of course, I don't think that that from necessarily a political angle would have uh, changed the outcome. But when it comes to the uh, presidential race, uh, Joe Biden had built, you know, a massive uh, lead in the polls ahead of the uh, the vote because of largely you know the momentum behind him from all these other wins. I think it's quite clear that there's a you know a huge delegate lead he has at this point. So I don't you know consider it. Uh, you know, I don't think that there was any you know planning to uh, carry the elections forward in order to stop Bernie Sanders. But I do think that it you know it, it certainly didn't help him. And when you see that these polls are even changing now, the national polls where Bernie's gaining a little bit more. That said, I mean, at this point, it, it, you saw it in the uh, Bernie's response yesterday when he was asked by these CNN reporters about this false report that he was suspending his campaign, um, his response to that, you know, he dropped the F-bomb. He said, you know, I'm dealing with an FN global, <laughs> you know, crisis right now, and I'm trying to make sure people uh, don't die. And I, at this time, it's almost hard to even talk about the politics of it because of how um, dire the situation is and how, um, you know, how, how much the programs that have been presented and put forward federally right now um, lack the um, kind of boldness and the breadth that they would need to deal with this crisis. I mean, like you mentioned, we're seeing people in the Republican Party come around to direct cash payouts um, to all kinds of, you know, uh, helping out working people on some level, but it doesn't come near to dealing with the uh, extent of the crisis. And unfortunately, I don't think what, you know, uh, Joe Biden has put forward at this point does either. I mean, he, if you look at um, the program outlined by Bernie Sanders, it calls for $2,000 a month to every American. That's in addition to, um, providing unemployment claims at 100% of people's paycheck up to $75,000 annually. Um, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, anybody making an argument against paying people who 
you know, through no fault of their own are going to lose their jobs. I mean, we're looking at at least 20% unemployment, something we haven't, you know, I haven't seen in my lifetime. That's, you know, something that is kind of incomprehensible for many of us. Um, and people need to get paid. Otherwise, you know, the, the financial strain is already revealing itself. I mean, the jobs numbers that have been put out, um, unemployment claims are up by 20%. And that was from the week before any of these measures were put into place. So we're going to see a cascade of uh, people out of work. You know, they have to pay their bills. Healthcare is not free in this country, unfortunately. Um, we still have so many um, ways in which, you know, the government means tests all these programs. So, you know, you have to fill fit into these certain brackets in order to qualify at this point. And that argument is being made now, you know, that we need that that's what's going to delay all these payments. We have to means test them. Well, you know, rich people are not going to benefit that much from an extra thousand dollars in their in their pockets. But, you know, who will is going to be working people. So to me, I think the uh, urgency means we got to start, you know, sending these uh, payments out now. That's what Bernie Sanders and other people are proposing as well. You look at Ilhan Omar, Rokana. Uh, Maxine Waters, uh, the head of the House Financial Services Committee, just put out this uh, uh, plan that calls for those safe type of numbers, as well as moratoriums on evictions, water shutoffs, all of these um, uh, type of areas that will cause more financial pain for people. So, I mean, the, having the, the vision that Bernie Sanders brings into not just the presidential race, but our national politics right now, I think is more important than ever. And just like you said, I mean, that's it more and more people are taking up his ideas. Even, you know, they're, they're saying we need free testing, we need free treatment for coronavirus patients. Of course we do, but don't we need that for all patients? You know, of, uh, you know, this, these things threaten our public health and our economy, and we're so intertwined that I think it just makes the perfect case for having these um, big universal programs that will enshrine um, the basic needs as rights for all Americans. Yeah, and... Listening to you talk, I'm just realizing how obsolete so many of the arguments and discussions and debate points over the last uh, several months have been. The whole notion of ideology versus electability. You and I have talked about this at length uh, down through uh, since the summer. The notion yeah. that, well, Democrats are being pragmatic. Democratic voters are looking for electability. They're worried about so-called swing voters in Virginia, Washington, uh, Washington yeah. suburbs, Wisconsin. I mean, this has been like a talking point of the Joe Biden campaign of the centrist, not just Joe Biden, across the board. I've heard it at every single debate. Yeah. Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, and now all of a sudden at this moment of crises, electability issues like out the window we need uh, it's we need government to step in right now and deal with all the problems uh that you're articulating i just i find that i find it a little difficult just to keep pace with this miles you know what i mean it's just, just a part of me that wants to just to slow up and say you know democrats Maybe it's time that you actually believed in something, that you had a principle, a core set of principles that you believed in, that yeah. you weren't just, you know, trying to put a talking point out that could, what, win just a very select group of voters. Maybe if you actually believed in something really strong uh, and palpable, you'd be ahead of the game. 
Well, everything is changing, um, and it's changing so rapidly that I agree that all of these old arguments are out the window, especially the critiques of um, Sanders' platform that, you know, question how we'll pay for it when you see um, that, you know, the Fed pumped $1.5 trillion already into the financial markets. Um, We're looking at, you know, even Trump is talking about a $1 trillion uh, fiscal relief package. Um, they're already talking about, of course, bailing out the the industries, the you know fossil fuel industry, the um, cruise and airline industries. But we're, you know, I would wish that at this moment, the Democratic Party, and that means the leadership, not just you know people like, as I mentioned, Ilan Omar, Rokana, but um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, you know, come out and embrace the type of you know broad redistributive programs we need right now and don't shoot them down. I mean, when you look at what happened with this, the bill that Trump just signed, the um, relief that does call for free testing, at least, it does not, uh, it it excludes 80% of workers from the uh, paid sick leave because it doesn't require uh, companies that have employees more than 500 people to um, comply with it. And that to me is just a complete abdication of duty when your job is to protect the American people. And Nancy Pelosi's defense of that was that she said, you know, taxpayers shouldn't be, we shouldn't be pumping money into these companies to provide paid sick leave. They should do it themselves. Well, they're not doing it themselves. So, you know, there has to be some type of measure put in place because all the incentives of the market or for them to give their employees the least amount of protections possible. This is not the time to let the market figure things out. We need to, you know, deploy every single uh, government program we have. And if you look, I mean, it's not as if the uh, these things are not happening around the world. Spain has moved to nationalize every private hospital in the country. The Danish government just signed a deal um, that would protect workers by the crisis, guaranteeing uh, 75% of wages for all workers, even just those threatened by job loss. Even in France, where Emmanuel Macron, you know, he's known as a neoliberal kind of centrist, he has called for the suspension of all rents, taxes, utility bills. I mean, these are the kind of things that uh, countries around the world are not just talking about, but actually taking action on right now, because they realize that this you know, crisis threatens to upend the uh, entire, you know, network of our economy and how it is run. And the most vulnerable people are going to be by far the most threatened. And honestly, if you're looking at the economy right now, we're realizing that the people that we've been thought of as the, you know, least important workers, the ones that are treated as if they're the least important, low-wage workers, workers at grocery stores, workers in the supply chain, you know, Amazon warehouses, nurses, RAs, all of these, you know, individuals who have been, you know, contingent workers, they face precarity, they frequently have no um, paid sick leave or protections and make low wages. These are the people we need to continue working in order for the, our society to continue functioning. And they needed to be treated that way. And I think that's starting to happen in some places. You know, Minnesota has signed this order calling for even grocery store workers to be provided paid sick leave and, you know, so forth. So there is some movement, but it's not being treated as the crisis that it really is, certainly not on the national level. Miles, what is your analysis of how Trump himself has handled this? Uh, you and I were joking. I think it was you. I, I uh, joking is that uh, lefties have a natural inclination when we start critiquing Trump to immediately start uh, 
criticizing other liberals to criticize yeah. liberals. I've been joking this. I've been saying this for a couple of days. I find that I, I do this. You, you know what I mean? I start talking about Trump. And next thing I know, I'm ripping Democrats. And uh, so let's try to isolate as much as you can from your perspective, Donald Trump's, the way Donald Trump has responded to the coronavirus. Well, it's a complete disaster. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any doubt that Donald Trump has shown himself to not just be an ineffective leader, but he, you know, has through his administration, which has been mismanaged at every level, um, has made this crisis infinitely worse. I mean, there's no, uh, you can't even compute how how much of a, you know, how reckless he has been. If you look at, you know, the just look at how this started. You know, in back in uh, late February, uh, Donald Trump was refusing tests. Even before that, he was refusing tests from the World Health Organization that was offered because he said, we uh, are, will build our own test and it will be the best test. Well, we now know, you know, you look at reporting, the test, uh, it took weeks for it to even be deployed and it was riddled with issues, unlike the uh, WHO's test. Um, the CDC, you know, in February, on February 26th, the CDC, which is, you know, under federal management, told state and local officials that testing capacity is more than adequate to meet current testing demands. Well, of course it's not. I mean, you, you can't get a test. You know, you still, it's, it's still impossible for people, you know, in Illinois and other places effectively to access this unless they are already like deeply ill. And, uh, you know, in late February, Donald Trump said one day, like a miracle, it will disappear. This is the talk of a madman, you know, who's, who not only, I mean, because of this, if you look in, there's some places in Italy where the testing was deployed quickly. I mean, it's a complete disaster in that country as well. But there are some areas, and there's been reporting on this, where they um, did, uh, they immediately flattened the curve, essentially, because they deployed testing immediately. They isolated those individuals. I mean, that's what's happened in South Korea. Other places were far, far, far past that at this point. There's no containing that all we can do and, there, and, you know, it's at least 18 months until there will be any type of vaccine if, the, if the, at that point. Um, so, you know, our lives are going to have be fundamentally changed by this forever. And there's no way that, you know, Donald Trump can rewrite history to make him seem as if he did not bring us to this point. He certainly did. And his administration um, deserves all of the, the blame you could imagine. He'll say, you know, call it the China virus. He'll you know, say that they did everything they could, that their response was perfect. He gave himself a 10 out of 10 in terms of that. I mean, it, it's hard to even think about it in terms of politics, but because of how much this will, and already has, but certainly will much, much more upend American life, um, it's hard for me to imagine that people will look at this president's response. And even if he starts sending out checks, which is the, you know, George W. Bush did this true, is the kind of the clearest way to win over voters' affection as you just give them cash. Well, I think even in this case, even if he calls them, you know, Trump dollars or, you know, whatever to try to maximize his own personal political benefit from this. I mean, this is just, uh, uh, you know, as I said, this is going to the only way we can possibly deal with this is by um, t turning towards, you know, uh, the state to take over uh, uh, industries because we cannot continue to, you know, what you saw in New York already, they're starting to um, bring in the Army Corps of Engineers to build hospitals. Um, they're 
reclaiming uh, dorm rooms and, you know, hotels to um, have makeshift hospital beds, because this is what we're facing now. You know, it's a, Donald Trump is saying he's a wartime president. Well, he's not on the front lines of this war. The people that are, you know, our health professionals and the people that are doing these low wage workers that, that keep the supply chain going, they are really the ones that are going to be facing the most uh, threats as a result of this. And they're the ones, I mean, the Imperial College report is very clear. You know, we face over 60% of the population contracting this virus. We face over 2.2 million deaths in this country. That's something we've never seen before. You know, that's what, four times the Civil War uh, death toll. So um, it's it's unbelievable that it's gotten to this point. And I think that we should think about it gravely, not to, you know, just induce panic, but rather to think about this as so that we can meet the crisis where it is in terms of what the response that is demanded. All right, let's try to end this conversation on a little more cheerful uh, tone. <laughs> uh, but I hear what you're saying, uh, Miles. Just just this image. Let me just take a moment to pause and think about it. I'm looking at an image of you on a cell phone. Usually you're sitting across a desk from me uh, in our studio at the Sun-Times, and it's just bringing home uh, the message that you're conveying, that it's just radically changed our lives, you know, this in our own little way, this very little simple way, just radically changed your lives. And I've got many more years on it than you do. And I can assure you nothing remotely like this in my entire life. I remember the, the, you, you alluded to uh, unemployment rates of 20%, I think you said, or 25%, whatever. Yeah. I, it, That's what they're projecting now. Yeah, and it, it could be much higher. I remember those rates, uh, similar rates, uh, about 1982, during the 1982 recession, mm -hmm. uh, when Ronald Reagan was the president, and there was uh, a big turnout of Democrats at the polls in the midterms in 1982, and led ultimately to Harold Washington's victory in 1983. People were really radicalized. But the, the difference between that recession, or depression, whatever you want to call it, uh, and where we are now is that Republicans could still stick to their mantra about trickle-down. Do you follow what I'm saying? They, they, mm -hmm. The notion was, well, if we stick to this, the, eventually there will be a, the economy they will rebound, this will be a cycle, and then we could proclaim as a great triumph of capitalism, which is how they painted it, and they're still painting it that way. They're not even playing that game miles right now you know no, you, steve mnuchin the treasury secretary who's you know total finance guy he had resisted even calls for a payroll tax relief is now saying we got to start sending checks and we got to start sending them in the next two weeks because they they real i mean not everyone you steve forbes and these other market fundamentalists have put out calls saying we can't you know that it'll lead to further job loss somehow if we you know provide relief to to taxpayers but even the people in the government these people that have been true believers of uh of you know the prowess of capitalism they're they they you can't you know hold your ears and their eyes shut for that long when you see the uh, you know the freight train coming at you oh. so i think that that's that's what's happening i feel it's uh motivated 100% by Donald Trump's re-election concerns. Donald Trump is worried about his re-election. It, it seemed like a point, a, a, a switch flipped within this week. Like when we were talking about this last week, Miles, there was not that sense of urgency in the part of the, the administration. And I feel at some point they realized, uh-oh, 
if we allow this just utter chaos and catastrophe to to, to descend, uh, Donald Trump will not be reelected. So I believe the man is totally motivated by whatever affects him. You follow me? And yeah. so that's where we're at right now. Uh, before I let you go, really quickly, uh, your thoughts about Tuesday's election on a local level uh, with Kim Fox's victory. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's obviously a rare bright spot. And if anybody, so I was at the Kim Fox victory party back in uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's back when we could still have victory parties. Uh, <laughs> and this this time, clearly, you know, if you, if you watch the video, she's giving, the, she gave her, victory speech in a uh, room with just basically her family, some select media, uh, which is kind of surreal. But that was one of the most, you know, incredible speeches I've heard her give. And, you know, this is a race where millions of dollars were sunk into it, including by, uh, uh, Con- you know, largely from Con- Bill Conway, the father works at the Carlyle Group, you know, these weapons manufacturers, this right wing, uh, you know, hedge fund operation. Um, and they tried to, you know, say that this race is all about Jesse Smollett. And I think that she's right in saying the voters decided it wasn't because if it was, of course she wouldn't have gotten, gotten yeah. elected. But that's one case within, you know, a, a county that she's, you know, almost 20% reduced the incarceration rate, helped to bring down um, cash bail. These are issues that are so, so much more important in terms of criminal justice reform now when we have prisoners, you know, and not to mention prison guards and staff at the front lines of this crisis. I mean, much like people that work in, um, you know, long-term care facilities, these are people that are going to be, you know, majorly affected. You're seeing in New York, they're starting to work towards releasing nonviolent offenders. I think that's going to have to happen and here as well. Um, and so Kim Fox uh, winning re-election, I think, is a very, you know, at a time when things seem completely unhinged. And, you know, I do think we all need to strap in for fundamental changes to our lives we couldn't have imagined a few days ago. Um, but the, you know, victory by Kim Fox, I think, is somewhat reassuring. And it shows that, you know, people are... Um, not giving up on some of the basic uh, values that were have been expressed politically over the past few years. Um, and they're willing to give another chance. I mean, that's what's interesting about this race is that you've seen other people like Larry Krasner and mm-hmm. Jeff Budin now in uh, San Francisco, Larry Krasner in uh, Philadelphia. Um, they've, they've won their races, but Kim Fox is the first real test of re- re-election. You know, can these, this wave of progressive prosecutors not just get into office, but stay and so it's, it's worth celebrating that she was able to, to do that. Not to mention, you know, we got uh, Dan Lipinski, uh, the Lipinski family, this, you know, uh, family that had so much power over um, the third district is now out of power, essentially, unless he runs a, a third party challenge. Um, so, you know, I think that that's worth celebrating. It's yeah. uh, Marie Newman as well. Yes, uh, we'll be talking about that greater length with our next guest, uh, Nikki Brzezinski, talking about the, uh, the power of the women vote uh, in uh, Tuesday's primary. Miles, before we let you go, give a shout out uh, where folks can find you. Even when you're shut in, you could read more Miles. <laughs> so tell them about yeah, uh, where they do. can find I, you. Uh, I've been spending some of my time, you know, as I often plug, is, you know, my uh, uh, side hustle trying to be a little bit musical. So last night I learned the uh, um, solo to uh, No Doubts Don't Speak. Yeah, I so, saw that. Uh, How'd it go? 
I, you know, I just spent, I just spent a little time saying, Hey, you know, I'm stuck here. What am I going to do? Picked up the acoustic, you know, it's a classic song. Ben loves that uh, song, by the way. <laughs> I don't even a, know. It's a hit. <laughs> uh, well, it's on my, it's on my social media. It's on my Twitter and uh, do we have permission to play so it? Feel free to, are you going to give course, us if you uh, want to pay it's just like a this is like a you know 30 second thing but um but you can catch me on twitter at uh at miles k lassen that's m-i-l-e-s-k-l-a-s-s-i-n please check out in these times.com we're running you know tons of coverage about this coronavirus situation and you know how we need to respond to it and some cases where workers have been activated and are already um fighting back i wrote a response piece to the last uh, debate about kind of the different visions put forward by Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders when it comes to uh, healthcare, especially, but in general, the response to this virus. So, yeah, please uh, check all that stuff out. And I'm very happy that the uh, Benny J so, show is still going strong under these, uh, you know, <laughs> strange circumstances. That's correct. Yes, uh, <laughs> Robert Mueller agrees. Thank you very much, Miles. Every Thursday at the Ben Drafts, you show Miles, uh, whether he's in the studio with us or at his house, whatever. Uh, it's it's a blast to have him. Thanks, Miles. Ben, sing no, don't speak by no doubt. Don't speak, no doubt, no doubt. You shouldn't speak. Well, the name of the group is No Doubt. Oh, and the song is called <laughs> Don't Speak. Yeah, I was singing it. How's it go again? Okay, one more time. Don't speak, no doubt, no doubt. Don't speak. There's another version where they put their name in to promote it. You know, like like when you sing, I work. With Ben on the Ben Jarofsky show. And then there's this, the I work. There's two different songs. Okay, yeah. Don't go anywhere, guys. We'll be right back. <laughs> Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. We had an election two days ago, Ben. Yes, we did. Easy to forget about, but it's true. And by the looks of it, we had quite a few Ben Jarofsky show guests come out victorious. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox, Lakisa Collins in the 9th District. And like we said on the program yesterday, if at first you don't succeed, try, try. Try again. The real Democrat, Marie Newman, is victorious in her second run at the third congressional primary, meaning that, yes, it's officially official. Dino Dan is done, dog. Uh, we ran a good campaign against tremendous headwinds. The numbers are not finalized because there are still outstanding votes in the city, uh, especially mail-in ballots. But as the numbers stand right now, it appears that I will not prevail. Uh, thank God. The following comes from the <laughs> Chicago Sun-Times and Lynn Sweet. U.S. Rep. Dan Lipinski conceded the Democratic primary to Marie Newman on Wednesday, unable to overcome disappointing shortfalls from his political base. Lipinski, 53 years old, a Democrat, sort of, from Western Springs, did not comment Tuesday because there was mail ballots still to be counted after a day of voting where turnout dropped overall because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, now, everybody, we're going to play a little audio, and what you're about to hear is a Democrat in name only. I want to hold this press conference today because we don't know what the uh, restrictions may be tomorrow because of the coronavirus. But if the current numbers uh, do hold... I wanted to congratulate Marie Newman on her victory. I already called Ms. Newman and, and spoke with her. 
as I said during the primary, that I will support the winner of, of the primary. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts. Dan Lipinski, out. Well, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Dan Lipinski, of course, is the son of Bill Lipinski, who was a powerhouse on the southwest side for many years. He's a former congressman, a former alderman, 23rd Ward Committeeman, former 23rd Ward Committeeman. And when I moved to Chicago way back when in the early 1980s, Lipinski was already a prominent name. Uh, and he handed the, the seat off to his son, I think it was in 2004, it was, under, it was one of those little only in Chicago moments where no one is paying attention. Hey, Sonny, I don't want to run anymore. You, you, be, you be the candidate. And, uh, you know, the voters, you know, they see a name they, they're familiar with, oh, vote for him, and they keep, continually vote for the guy, even though he's far more conservative than they are. And it's interesting. Everybody wants to be, like, the underdog. I was listening to Danny Lipinski right there on that uh, clip saying, we were running against tremendous headwinds. The only headwinds were that you were to the right of most of your constituent. That would be a headwind. There was no headwind in terms of like Marie Newman had more powerful force behind her. The, the Lipinski name is a powerful name, resounding throughout the southwest side and in the suburbs. So if anybody was up against a headwind, it was uh, Marie Newman. But everybody wants to be the underdog. Everybody wants to be the victim. Even Donnie Trump, like he's the most powerful man in the country. He's always like, he's the victim. Everyone's picking on him. This is just a traditional thing. So Lipinski wasn't an underdog. He was an overdog. Is there such a thing? An overdog? No. Okay, I just made that up. An overdog. Uh, I, but you know what? I remember Marie Newman coming on the show a couple of years ago when I had a radio show before I was fired. And she would be talking about, you know, I, I remember advising her, you know, you're going to, they don't, those Lipinskis, they play rough and they do play rough and they held on as long as they could. And by the way, Michael Joseph Madigan was also supporting Lipinski. Let's just throw that out there. I had an interesting conversation with a lefty friend of mine whose name is Tim. Uh, I will only say that's Tim. You know, Tim. The, should I say his last name? I mean, it's Tutton. Oh, yeah, that, that Tim. And he was like, the most powerful man in the state of Illinois is Michael Madigan. He was going on in one of only Tim Tutton uh, riffs. It was a great riff. I go, Tim, you won. Marie Newman won. You beat Michael Madigan's Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's so used to being the victim, you know? Uh, so it wasn't like Lipinski was an underdog. The reality is this. He won last time to a large degree because voters were just going with that Lipinski name, following, just, they're just so used to voting for a certain name, they can't stop themselves. I think it happened to a certain degree in the 14th Ward automatic race last time when Ed Burke prevailed. It just, you know, Patrick O'Connor for years and years, the alderman in the 40th Ward, people see the name, they just vote for the name. They're like robots, I see the name, I love the name, I know the name, I'm a Chicago voter, I'm, I'm very scared of change, no, I'm gonna vote for Lipinski. It was to the right of you on everything. People say, well, Lipinski's like, you know, I lost because I had a principal opposition uh, to abortion, and I, I've, that's why I lost. I got news for you. Your district went for Bernie. It's a lefty district. It's a left-of-center district, at least on economic issues. You're not a progressive on economic issues. By the way, this is how deep the Lipinski name goes, D. I had a dream. Last night about Lipinski. Can I share this oh, with you? Get the bong out. I know. I had a dream about Lipinski. It was, <laughs> it was like, it was not a, a, a marijuana induced dream. I just, for some reason, I, re, I had this dream that I was interviewing Lipinski's father, Bill Lipinski, who was always, 
you know, pretty decent to me as far as machine Democrats go. Most machine Democrats don't want anything to do with me. Like if I call them up, they they don't return the phone. Because this is back in the day, you know, the day with like Verdoliak and Burke and Mel, those guys. And, uh, you know, like, who is this hippie reporter for the reader? You know, they want anything to do with God me. God damn it, what do you want? <laughs> but, you know, I remember old man Lipinski t- took my call and talked to me, this, that. I can't remember what the story was about. Uh, and, you know, they just, they, they do view, the view uh, reader writers as hippie reporters. Uh, so I had this dream that I was talking to Bill Lipinski, and I woke up, I go, wow, that's weird. That's how powerful they are. That's how powerful these old Democrats are. So when Timmy T- Tutton says Michael Joseph Madigan is the most powerful Democrat, in the state. I can understand where he's coming from. Tim's my generation. He views these old line Democrats as powerhouses. But folks, let's face it, times have changed. The Ben Jarofsky Show. We're back. Ben Jarofsky here. And uh, Lenny is with us. Lenny from The Reader. She comes in every other Thursday. Correct, Lenny? That's right. Every other Thursday here. Every mm-hmm. other Thursday uh, to talk about Indivisible. A great uh, week. Or, excuse me. A great election for Indivisible on Tuesday, in my humble opinion particularly with the Marie Newman race. Uh, but Lenny uh, also talks about the reader and introduces our guest, our political guest. So Lenny, why don't you just start off with your few opening thoughts and then introduce our guest. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me here. So I do work at the Chicago Reader on the sales side with Tracy Baymar, publisher. And um, today it's all about chicagoreader.com forward slash donate. So as you all know, we are also a, a business. Um, my own business, Chicago Dance Supply, we're, we're filing for unemployment over here. We're all trying to get by, but the reader um, also needs to continue to survive um, even in this pandemic. So there are three things that we want you to think about. ChicagoReader.com forward slash donate is where you could go and just give us some love. But we're also having a coloring book fundraiser. And today is the last day for creatives to actually sign up for that um, project. And we're looking for illustrators in particular. Um, so you can message me at Lenny, L-E-N-I, at chicagoreader.com, and I'll forward on your application to um, – so it's, a, it's going to be a downloadable coloring book, a PDF coloring book. Um, and 50% of the proceeds that we get are going to go to the creatives, and 50% are going to go is going to go to Chicago Reader. Um, and then, uh, in moving forward, we're going to do a joint fundraiser with the Chicago Media Alliance. Um, this is Chicago's community and ethnic media group, um, and there's more uh, coming uh, for that. But it's Tracy Bame is leading that charge to keep everybody going in good times and in bad, especially right now. We just don't want to have the Chicago Reader be the last one standing, and we do want Chicago Reader to continue on so we can have great programming like the Ben Jarofsky show here. So we we need to keep going. ChicagoReader.com forward slash donate. Um, Chicago Reader is the legacy free alternative, the first free uh, weekly in Nathan. Uh, It's been around, it's going to be 50 years next year. And you know what we're all about. You know, um, Chicago Reader is different from other media. Chicago, we, we actually don't just tell the story of what happened, but we go deeper and we, we talk about why things happened. Um, so do it because we are we are the ones that are holding the, the mirror up to, to Chicago, especially when it comes to culture and politics. Um, and right now we need um, accuracy in our history, um, especially right now under this administration. 
Um, we need truth and um, we need leaders. So chicagoreader.com forward slash donate, please do that. Um, and, and Ben also mentioned that I am with uh, the Indivisible Movement. So we have many groups in Chicago and across the straight the state. Uh, we are so excited of that it's post-primary election. Can't <laughs> 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 uh, <believe> it's over. <laughs> um, that was really rough, but my God, we got Marie um, to win her primary against Dan Lipinski, who has garnered, you know, national um, races nationally recognized right now. I mean, about the race yesterday, and um, and I just wanted to share a couple things with you um, because our volunteers have been out there knocking on doors, and you know, with the coronavirus, we had to pivot to a, a virtual campaign. So. Um, 100,000 doors knocked. Just this weekend, we had um, 120,000 calls made for getting out the boat. Um, it was an amazing pivot. Um, Marie Newman was outstanding. She did everything that she needed to do. She went and she did 318 meet and greets in her, in her district. Um, there was so much uh, energy, especially in Will County. Um, especially in areas where we just didn't know what was going to happen, particularly in the 13th and 23rd Ward. Um, we were so excited about that. There was a great uh, showing of the um, of Latino voters. Um, let's see. Oh, back of the yard, for sure. Um, it's, it's, none of these are um, official. These are, these are just um, general demographics that, that uh, we, we were shared with. Um, but we're so excited about that. And the other thing we're excited about is Kim Fox. Um, you know, we we were pretty um, confident that Kim Fox was going to win, but I just didn't feel like she was getting a fair shake in media. So we did a lot of rallies for her, especially uh, women for Kim Fox rally. Um, and uh, we did a lot of pushing on social media and just talking about exactly what is it beyond Jesse um, that you want to talk about about this office. Um, because that's the conversation that we needed to have. Um, and even moving forward, you know, uh, there's, she had such a great story. Um, and so we were, I was really happy to be a part of groups, um, including um, our next guest who's going to talk about the race more, um, which I'm really excited to have her on. You know, right now we need leadership in government and, uh, you know, elections matter. We were really, um, really, you know, after a lot of conversation, we, got behind J.B. Pritzker in mm -hmm. 2018 elected. We endorsed him. And so we're so proud to see him taking charge of the situation right now in Illinois every day, keeping us up to date. Um, there's a there's actually a website that I just wanted to mention, too. It's coronavirus.illinois.gov. So keep up with what's going on in Illinois there. Um, and and I, anyway... Um, thank you, Governor Pritzker. Thank you for Lori Lakefoot. Thank you for leaders in our own community, too, such as um, my own Chamber of Commerce, Andersonville Chamber of Commerce, and also my alderman, Harry Osterman. Um, elections matter. So even in the times and the worst times, we continue on um, doing what we can um, when we can do it. So um, beyond that, one more time, chicagoreader.com forward slash donate. Read the reader, donate, and share our stories. Listen to the Ben Jarofsky Show 
and share his podcast, which is going to be available later today. But for now, I would love to um, introduce Nikki Pacinski, who is political consultant. She can tell us all about herself, but I'm so glad to, to meet you here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, with the with JD with Governor Pritzker's office. Oh yeah, sure. Well, thank you, Lenny. Uh, Nikki, welcome to the show. Uh, Nikki Buzinski, and she is uh, the president of her own consulting firm, Buzinski and Partners. So we're going to call her President Buzinski. And uh, <laughs> uh, Thanks, Nikki ben. used to work for uh, <laughs> uh, Governor Pritzker. She's been in politics for a while. Uh, uh, welcome to the show, Nikki. I wish we could be in our old circumstances in our studio, our beloved little studio in the Sun Times, where I could look across the desk and see you and welcome you personally to the show. It's, yeah. These, well, hopefully there'll just be another time for yeah, that. Yeah, another time for great. that. Uh, all right, yeah. Nikki. Uh, I've been talking about this. Uh, Tuesday was sort of a, a great day for uh, women candidates. Uh, Lenny had talked was. about Marie Newman and Kim Fox. And it's so interesting. Just let's pause for a moment. This has kind of been a theme today, Nikki, in the show, how much has changed just dramatically and so many levels. But it was just about a month ago uh, with Elizabeth Warren when she, I think it was about a month ago, people were saying, questioning the electability of women. And now here we are on Thursday and you are talking about the triumph. Uh, Iris put Iris Martinez in that as well, who was elected uh, Cook County uh, Clerk of the Circuit Court. Talk about the issue of women in politics right now, Nikki. Well, it's it's very exciting, I would tell you. I mean, I think it really started or kicked off. um, I had the privilege in 2016. I worked for Secretary Clinton's campaign um, for 18 months through that primary in general. And obviously her loss was felt. I think across the country, obviously, but I really think in particular with women. And what I think it helps to ignite is really a movement of women that really you saw turn out in 2018. And then again, just this uh, past Tuesday in the primary election, women that are standing up and saying they want to run for office at the local, state, and federal level for the first time. Um, And you're also seeing the power of women as a voting block. Uh, really turning out and making a difference in elections. So I think it's really two parts to this story. Um, there were on t- on Tuesday, you know, just an interesting fact, I will say, is we're making a lot of progress. In the Illinois General Assembly, only 36% um, of the representatives and senators are women still in the General Assembly. So we still do have a long way to go, but we did make great strides on Tuesday. And not just, you know, important that we're electing women, but we're electing really exciting young women. Um, You know, you mentioned Senator Martinez, who won um, a really important county race. Lenny mentioned all the great work that Indivisibles were doing. I met Lenny. Uh, We were working together on one of those women's rallies for Kim Fox and the importance of her election and getting that second term and what it will mean um, for the city and the county to have a leader like her uh, leading the state's attorney's office is incredibly important. But, you know, as, as you mentioned, as someone that used to work, I worked throughout uh, Governor Pritzker's campaigns and then in his administration, we were all incredibly excited and proud to see Margaret Croak, who's a very new mother, um, uh, get out there, say she was going to run for the first time, ran in a primary in the 12th district, um, and ran a great campaign. Um, and ended up winning and, and winning by a pretty solid margin too. Um, 
but there were a lot of other women too that that won. Leticia Collins, I'd love to hold up too. I mean, that's another house race on Tuesday, previously held by um, you know Art Turner, wonderful legislative leader. This is now turning into a woman. A woman is now leading that uh, um, in that uh, district now with um, with Representative or soon to be Representative Collins. Um, I'd also highlight uh, the 16th district too, um, with um, Representative Kalish being defeated by a, um, a newcomer and Denise Stoneback, and that was another huge, um, you know, win for women, win for some of the more important uh, choice. Obviously, reproductive health being a really important issue, and obviously that was very foundational to um, the rematch that was Marie Newman and Congressman Lipinski, and and I really think helped to bring Marie Newman into winning on this second time around. I mean, she very narrowly lost the primary to Representative Lipinski, I think by maybe only three points. She now came back and, and won. And, and you know, I think Lenny did a nice job of highlighting all of the work that Marie Newman, all of the work that these women have been doing to set up the foundation for their wins that they had on Tuesday. And that, um, you know, that's what I think is really going to help us bring um, fresh air, new perspectives, new opinions to Springfield and Chicago and across the state. So it's really exciting, Ben. All right. Uh, let's talk about, by the way, that was breaking news for me about uh, Kalish. The last I looked at that race, yeah. there's so many races to follow. The last I looked at the race, Kalish was winning. We talked a lot about this race, uh, Nikki, on the show yeah. with Terry Cosgrove. This was a situation yeah. where Lou Lang stepped down uh, and yep. uh, he they slated Kalish uh, to replace mm -hmm. him. And then Kalish all of a sudden turned out to be against a woman's rights to choose. Uh, which and well, then, yeah. go ahead, uh, take it from yeah, there. no, he, yeah, no, I, yeah, no, exactly. Then I was just, I, I'm very new. I just joined the personal pack board, and Terry is a good friend of mine. And personal pack really led the way, um, really on holding Representative Kalish accountable for a commitment that he made, uh, to women's reproductive health that he ended up actually voting present on, on um, the reproductive health, um, act that came up last session. And, and and I think that that's important. It is important to hold our elected officials accountable. And um, certainly in this race, that was a defining issue. I think there are, to your point, though, Ben, I think there are probably still a lot of those mail-in ballots. It is a close race. Um, but I do think from those that I talked to that have been following the race uh, very closely, Terry among them, uh, feel comfortable that, you know, at the end of the day, at the very end of the day, it'll be still back that's, that's victorious. All right, I'm speaking to uh, Nikki Bozinski. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. 
To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. And finally, let's talk about Reefer, because also on the primary ballot Tuesday was Reefer. Mm -hmm. Ben, I believe our good friend and sometimes Reefer writer Tommy Two Joint Shuba <laughs> wrote something that you wanted to discuss with all of us. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, man, is there a harder working reporter in the city of Chicago than Tommy Shuba? My God, he, first of all, he's just doing reefer. Now he's covering like, well, the coronavirus. Well, he's not doing reefer. Well, well, he may be doing reefer, but... <laughs> he's covering the reefer There beat. we go. But uh, he's That's also correct. coronavirus, elections. I remember, I well, you know, I miss it. I miss... One of the things I miss about being in the Sun-Times is seeing Tommy Shuba running down the, the hallway on a phone. Ben, I, got, I don't have time. I'm really busy. Can you come... I, I'm busy. I can't... I'm, Hold it. I got some guy on hold. I'm Tommy Shuba. I'm really busy. That's what he says when he's talking, by the way. I'm Tommy Shuba. <laughs> like, if you didn't know. He's a great guy. I love him dearly. Guys, yeah. I'm really busy. I'm Tommy Shuba. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm a busy guy, okay? Hold on. I got someone on hold. Ben, don't bother me. I'm busy. One second. <laughs> <sighs> Getting stoned over here. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't do that. That's just a joke. He's really a hardworking reporter, Tommy Two joins Shuba. Anyway, he had a great column. It was about... Uh, Elections, you know, towns have a decision. Will they allow reefer to be sold uh, within the city limits? It's legal in the state of Illinois, but, you know, it doesn't mean any city's going to sell it, any town's going to sell it. Remember there was that battle in Naperville? The people in Naperville who were oh, against yeah. reefer? We're against reefer. And uh, so they had a, a, it was a referendum yesterday, and apparently the Napervillians said, no, we want to sell reefer. And who can blame them? I mean, we're, we're facing this existential crisis. The world as we know it is coming to an end. You and I are doing this show as a remote from my attic overlooking the alley and the trains. The, the notion that like reefers our biggest problem is kind of far-fetched right now. And I'm good. I'm glad, happy to hear that the good people in Naperville have come to the same decision. And they decided they want to sell reefer. There were some a couple other towns. Do you got the list in front of you? Where they? Uh, oh, here we go. Suburban voters back sales of recreational pot in towns. Tommy Shuba. They call it pot in the Sun Times headline. D. They don't call it reefer. Uh, a majority of voters in Naperville, Rosemont, Cicero, North Lake, and Westchester cast ballots in favor of allowing weed to be sold to adults for recreational use. Meanwhile, voters in Lamont rejected it. Reject. It's like Matumbo. Reject that. Lamont. Where is Lamont? Hang tight, non-sports fans. <laughs> Lamont's somewhere. I know. I've been to Lamont. Come on, Lamont. Get your act together, Get man. Get with it, Lamont. You know, all, God. The, all those Lamonters are going to go over to Naperville. You think nobody's smoking reefer in Lamont, Lamont? Lamontonians. Lamont, is that what they are? I don't know. Lamontians. There we go. I like Lamontians. Anyway, there were some uh, other uh, towns in Illinois. You want to take the trivia quest? You want to take that trivia challenge, young man? Huh? huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Huh? All right, here we go. I'm going to ask you this is for uh, 10 trivia points. Where are these towns? Uh, and I'm going back to Tom uh, Shuba's article. Elsewhere in Illinois, voters, two joints. Uh, voters in O'Fallon and Elmwood back pro-pot ballot measures while folks in, get ready for this, D, 
Oblong, Highland, and Marshall voted against the recreational sites. Let's just make the obvious point. People in Highland voted against recreational reefer. I grew up near Highland. Highland's in the 618. That's right. I thought it was Oblong that was in the 618. No, no, it's Highland that right. was in the 618. So why would people in a town call Highland? Hello. I mean, they got an image to worry about. What are you going to just get high and high land? You well, know why what I mean? They change the name of their town to Straightland. Soberton? Yeah, Soberton. <laughs> Soberton, Illinois. We don't drink, we don't smoke reefer. And Oblong, that kind of sounds like, uh, I don't know, like a, a bong. I smoke Abong and Oblong. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, you should. In fact, Oblong, my advice to you is uh, play on the fact that you have bong. You can't do bongs and oblong without bongs. No, wait, that didn't come out right. You can't spell oblong without bong. All there of our go. obloggian listeners, please. And finally, there's Marshall, which is on the eastern side of the state, bordering the state of Indiana. I had to look that up. That's how I know that. So, you know what, guys? Take your time. You know, I know you're still a little afraid of reefer. The world, as we know, is coming to an end. We're doing our podcast from the attic, overlooking the alley, because there's this uh, pandemic, all right? But you're holding the line in the war against reefer. Good for you, Oblong, or whatever you're called. The Ben Jarofsky Show. Nikki Buzinski with me on the phone. We're talking politics. We're talking about the power of uh, women voters. It was a turnaround, Nikki. We talked about this already. All that talk. All that talk coming into uh, Tuesday's primary, women are, can't be elected president. Can Elizabeth Warren be elected president? Is, is it too much for voters to deal with electing women? It was a big night, in my humble opinion, uh, for women. Mm -hmm. Marie Newman, Kim Fox, and then my Latino, uh, Latino women strategy uh, name uh, theory. I'll get into that. We already talked a little bit about uh, Marie Newman and how she was able to defeat Dan Lipinski this time around after losing so closely yeah. uh, last time around. Let's talk about Kim Fox. And mm -hmm. uh, what do you think the keys were to Kim Fox's victory? Well, I think, you know, she focused on, um, you know, I think she focused on a good campaign on getting the vote out where she needed to get the vote out. It, I think it's very clear that she turned out voters in the South Side. She needed to have a strong um, African-American turnout. I think she very much did, but I think she knew her campaign was smart and they knew they had to have turnout up in the north, northwest side of the city as well. And so they really did what they needed to, needed to be done. And I think that she is one of the most phenomenal candidates. If you hear her on the stump telling her story and the work that she's trying to do within the state's attorney's office and making that connection and really making the case, I think, to voters that she has started on some of this really important work around criminal justice reform, really um, making fundamental changes to the state's attorney's office that people have been wanting to see um, for a very long time and recognizing that this is work that is not going to happen in one term and that she was really going to need to have more than that term two terms beyond more than that to be able to really get some of these really fundamental changes to really take place. And I think she's gotten the state's attorney's office in a great place, making great, um, you know, great strides on a lot of these really important issues, but she needs more time to get those things done. I think she very well did a very good job of making that case, ran a good campaign knowing where she needed to turn out her base and her voters. And she did that. Um, and I think it's a great story also of how 
money doesn't have to trump everything. I mean, I don't know at the end of the day how many dollars she was outspent by Conway, but it was significant. Um, but at the end of the day, she's such a great candidate, ran a good campaign, ran on the issues. The Smollett thing, obviously, issue was a very, um, uh, it was a core issue that her campaign had to address. She had to address, and I think she did, but then she didn't allow it to also dominate completely all of the things she wanted to talk about and the things she wanted to do. And so she was able to continue to kind of push forward on some of these more proactive issues, um, standing up to Trump, using her office to do that, criminal justice reform. She's, she kept on message, and I think that was really important. I think there are some lessons uh, that can be learned from her campaign in terms of how she dealt with Smollett. You were just talking about, I, we call it Smollett Gate on this show. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, my sense is that voters felt as though there was, how do I put it? There was no there there. You know, that old line, there is no there there. Right. And there was nothing really concrete right. uh, in Smollett Gate that warranted turning her out of office. That's how right. I view it. Do you share right. my sense? I do. I do. I think, I think, um, you know, people, I think people were troubled by it. I don't want to minimize it in any way, but I think she did a good job of addressing it, but again, not letting it completely dominate what she was doing on the campaign trail and what she wanted to talk about and the people she cared about and her story. And I, I think she kept a very positive forward facing um, message and campaign that people want to know about the issues mm -hmm. and what she's going to do in that office or continue to do in that office. And I think she did a good job of making that case. All right, let's turn to the presidential race. Uh, Joe Biden has pretty much wrapped it up. Uh, I was for Bernie. Uh, even I am raising yeah. the white flag. Uh, but I do, I do believe uh, that Bernie has played a very important role. I'm saying this just as a guy who's voted for two for two. Uh, Nikki, every chance I've gotten, I voted for Bernie. I, I do believe he's done a great yeah. job of pushing democratic values and core democratic beliefs to the forefront so the Democratic Party cannot retreat from them or run away from them. What's your sense of what Joe Biden has to do now uh, to bring the Bernie voters uh, in uh, into his big tent, if you will? Yeah, I think he, I think to your point, Ben, I think he has started to do that. I think you, you have seen a shift in the issues that Biden is clearly hearing what both Senator Warren and Senator Sanders were saying that tended to be more progressive, like just, for example, Biden embracing her bankruptcy um, reform platform, the Senator Warren, that was a positive. I think he needs to, Biden needs to continue to come in with open arms and a, a positive um, way to approach Bernie's supporters and bring Bernie in and really hold him, I think, bring him close in the sense of like listening to him, making sure his concerns are heard. Um, I think they are. I really do. I think you can see that in some of the debates. But I think that in order to get his supporters on board, and we really do need his supporters to be on board, I think that Biden, Vice President Biden needs to, you know, continue to uh, sway them, persuade them, work to earn their support, not take them for granted. They do continue, even after this past Tuesday, where we did see Biden have very large wins in Florida, Illinois, and Arizona, you do see, still see young voters, people under the age of 40, 45, for sure, um, uh, you know, 
staying with Senator Sanders. So I think that we need to have young people get excited about them to come out and vote. And so he needs to not take that for granted. And I, I'm hopeful that he really won't. Um, but I think for Senator Sanders, you know, I agree with you. I think that his path to, you know, the delegates that he would need, I think is all but closed. But I think he can really be proud of a lot of the issues that he raised and pressed the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party candidates to move on. And that's a legacy that, you know, if he's not president of the United States, he can still be very proud of. All right, very good. I'm speaking with Nikki Bazinski. Yeah. And uh, Nikki, I want to thank you very much for taking time to come on our show. These are uh, tough times. As I say, we're doing it right remote. It's a whole new world for the Ben Jarofsky show. We're not in our beloved little studio. And I hope that sooner or later, uh, we'll continue the conversation. We'll get to be in the same studio and actually look at across <laughs> a table and see each other. Uh, so thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, I would much. love that, Ben. All right. Thank you very thank much, you for Nikki. Having me. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I want to thank Nikki. I also want to thank Lenny from The Reader, uh, putting a shout out uh, to uh, help The Reader out during these uh, tough times. Uh, Peter Cunningham, PC, did an excellent job early in the show. And Miles Conflassen always comes through for us from In These Times. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all. We couldn't have done it without him. The doctor, learning things on the run, learning how to run that board from a new environment, learning how to deal with the train going by, learning how to deal with Facebook, learning how to deal with Google. Uh, let's get learning- back to the studio. <laughs> learning how to deal with it all. And you know, folks, when I look at him so skillfully manipulate these new challenges, I realize there's a reason people downstate call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. That's correct.